All right, welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat Podcast today with Tero Pekka Alastalo. Hi, Tero. How are you doing? Hello. Very good. I'm doing well. All right. Um, you are an interesting individual who is doing interesting things um, and has done interesting things, as as you know every uh, guest that we have on the show here. And um, I'm I'm pretty excited to have you on. We'll we'll talk about about the things that you are involved with, and um, you know, kind of as an icebreaker question that we always have um, is is you know is to obviously find out who's it that we're talking to. And uh, I always, uh, you know, mention beforehand, before I ask the question, actually, is, you know, uh, that people take take their time to answer it, because I think it's very, very interesting to understand, you know, where the where the person is coming from and, you know, um, what, what they have done previously, what has shaped them and, you know, to understand of like, OK, how did they actually end up where today? So um, would be great if you would um, if you could kind of tell us, you know, what have you done? you know, prior to um, your your current your current position or your current activity, whatever you're doing right now. And, um, you know, just give us give us kind of the background in for you. Yeah, <clears throat> happy to do that. And uh, yeah, so my my background is uh, actually from in Finland, where I'm originally from. Nowadays, I live here in California. I've spent over 10 years here. And uh, but my history really starts in, in Finland, at least my academic career. Um, where I studied uh, medicine and uh, I was always super excited about uh, innovation, research, uh, developing new things, learning new things. So of course, studying medicine itself was uh, super exciting for me, but I got really in an early stage, I got, ex uh, I got uh, exposed to molecular biology, biochemistry, and um, and did, I did a PhD in that in studying cellular cellular stress responses and uh, and I think I was extremely fascinated about the the whole world of uh, finding new things and solutions and uh, and uh, but after finishing my PhD I still uh, decided to pursue also my clinical training I specialized in pediatrics and um, and of course found that super exciting um, during my pediatrics training I did a lot of work in the pediatric intensive care uh, neonatal intensive care units uh, where cardiovascular assessment pulmonary physiology were kind of uh, often key elements of the work that we're doing there and um, and that kind of got taught that really kind of uh, initiated this kind of a strong interest in cardiovascular diseases um, also rare diseases in and, and and working with these kind of rare especially in pediatric populations you're seeing a lot of these kind of genetic disorders rare stuff but and, and in combination to the cardiovascular interest and um, and based on that growing interest that I had in the clinic and after all my research years I actually pursued my scientific career by continuing my postdoctoral training at Stanford University where I worked with Dr. Marlin Rabinovich on pulmonary pulmonary hypertension and pulmonary vascular diseases. And, um, and, and of course, met a lot of exciting people here in Silicon Valley and, and Stanford, which I think that postdoctoral period really transformed the rest of my life in certain ways. Um, I still moved back to Finland after my postdoctoral training, and I pursued my cardiology training after that, as I was like heavily, heavily involved in cardiovascular uh, stuff at that point. I had my own uh, um, um, laboratory also, so I was also a primary investigator. So I, I started doing also research related to these cardiovascular diseases in, in Finland. And, um, and um, but when I was at Stanford, I also met people here who were working on DNA sequencing, next generation sequencing. And uh, one of them was uh, Samuel Müllukangas. He was a Finnish uh, DNA biologist. And uh, after he came also back from Finland, uh, back from Stanford to Finland, uh, uh, we actually started collaborating as he had done an innovation in next generation sequencing that could really help rare disease patients to get a faster diagnosis. And uh, and we founded a company called Blueprint Genetics. And uh, so I was... Um, I had a few years in the in the in the hospital university campus, kind of uh, doing my cardiology uh, work in the clinic and having my research laboratory. But also there was the startup in uh, focusing on next generation sequencing and rare diseases. And um, I think somewhere in 2013, I decided to fully jump on board on that startup and really uh, pursue my career in the startup and kind of left my original plan as an academic clinician. Um, and um, and I went fully on board into the startup company in working with this uh, rare disease diagnostics concepts with this new Stanford-based technologies. And um, that basically 
took me back to United States in 2014. So I came here to set up the North America operation for the technology, uh, set the groundwork for for a commercial uh, kind of expansion uh, of that technology into North America. And um, of course, that was a huge learning curve for for a physician scientist to jump into industry start running suddenly running a uh, uh, is uh, us entity uh, working commercially <laughs> in the in the in the in the space uh, and uh, but eventually after a lot of learning some learning curves i think we started seeing uh, success and, uh, and the fruits for our work and um, and in a couple of years north america became uh, became our biggest market we were one of the fastest growing if not the fastest growing rare disease genetic testing laboratory in the world um, went from next generation sequencing development, wet lab chemis- chemistry innovation to also software innovation in how to interpret test results, how to create better reports for rare disease patients uh, that serve better, better to physicians. And uh, and I think we started like really getting market share in different territories, Canada, in US in certain rare disease categories, but also in Scandinavia, Europe, Australia. Uh, so really a global expansion into se- over 70 countries uh, being our customers. And um, at some point during the, the 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 trip, we started getting a lot of attraction from the industry, and uh, eventually we were acquired uh, by Quest Diagnostics, and um, and that was of course a great, great almost ten years of uh, working in the rare disease genetic space, and and uh, but at, um, at during these years, I've also been following other industries and uh, other very exciting things like uh, cardio signal project. So I know some of the key opinion leaders who have been working with this uh, medical um, technology. And um, and I became an early investor uh, in this company, a board member. I started following this company and helping them um, um, in the first place uh, uh, in different types of strategy and planning future. And um, But after seeing some of the clinical trial results and the opportunity with this medical device technology, I actually decided to jump fully on board into this startup company that is also a Finnish-based innovation company. It has uh, the the scientific work has been done in Finland uh, for over over a decade. And now we have an operation here in the United States and also in Finland. And uh, we're really focusing on a a novel concept of uh, digital biomarkers for heart diseases. So this has been, of course, a super exciting over a year, one year now in this industry and, and uh, working for CardioSignal and leading the North America operation for that. So um, <laughs> that is technically a short version of what I've been doing the last uh, 20 years, maybe. Very, very, very interesting. And we will get into detail, um, you know, yeah. into, into, into these different things. But, you know, let's maybe start chronologically. Um I think uh, it is needless to say that uh, an academic career is um, is also very challenging, right? And also time consuming. And um, I find it remarkable um, I, in general, you know, I, I think people that start companies are very admirable, right? Um, I mean, they create jobs, they they move us forward. But I think what what from from my personal perspective, right? If I see academics start companies, I find it even more remarkable, right? Because, you kind of leave you leave your um, environment, which you worked up for really hard, right? To get like to this level of like you know, first of all, the academic path, you know, that you went um, uh, such a long way to 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 get there. Basically, I I want to understand your 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 way of thinking, you know, back then in the days when you dis- when you made that decision to jump from the university into basically full time into the startup, right? What was how did you make this decision? What was your thought process behind that? Because I can imagine, was it an easy one? Because I, I would, I would, I would think that okay, that that must have been a hard, hard choice to to make. Uh yeah. So definitely a a hard choice, uh, a big decision. I had kind of worked my for years for a certain goal of. Uh, I had this vision that I'll be a kind of a, taking care of the most sick cardiac pediatric patients in Scandinavia, like University of Helsinki Hospital is one of the biggest centers in Scandinavia, doing research on these um, exciting, many exciting cardiovascular diseases. So of course, that was kind of my career. And I had been kind of successfully executing it. I had my postdoctoral fellowship at Stanford, got my pediatric cardiology fellowships in the University of Helsinki, had my own research laboratory. Uh, We got a lot of funding into into the laboratory. So things were like, I would say, set really well uh, for and and reach kind of my goals and uh but at the at the same time there was also this hunger with this new technology and looking at the opportunity to really helping out 
potentially thousands, hundreds of thousands of patients by really um, taking this technology into mainstream and, and creating something novel uh, or some kind of major improvements in, in the field. Um, it's, um, I don't know, I think there's certain kind of a personality uh, uh, related uh, um, thing here, which I think plays a big role. I think uh, I did my pediatrics fellowship uh, or pediatric residency in, back in the day and spent many years doing that. And, and and it was kind of a big jump to go back then to basic research and go to Stanford and start from the scratch. I had kind of become pretty rusty. I didn't, I didn't remember all the methodology, but it was this kind of a, but I at the same time enjoyed this bold move of suddenly jumping back into this prestigious university, going to the laboratory, which is full of postdocs and people who know what they're doing, and then going back into the laboratory world and kind of starting it again in a completely new field that I had previously done in a PhD. So I think the taking these kind of challenges and jumping into, I would say, jumping off the cliff uh, and uh, without completely knowing what's going to happen is, uh, is, uh, is, of course, been something that I I get a lot of maybe some kind of a satisfaction also about it. So um, I'm not saying that that's, that's like everything that I want to do constantly because, mm-hmm. but I think jumping from, from the academic side to the startup world was a big move. Um, I did suffer a little bit <laughs> at some point, uh, but it was kind of periodic. And then suddenly the suffering has gone away. And I think um, I have found in this world of being an entrepreneur in healthcare space, I've, I've kind of found my, kind of a sweet spot and a kind of a home. Uh, I'm not desiring any so much like uh, jumps off the cliff. Of of course, jumping from genetics into medical devices, there's also a learning curve, but I think it's starting to be like, uh, it feels normal to now and then do these little uh, transitions. And I think it's also healthy to do that. And, uh, but I think in the, in the world of uh, being an entrepreneur, I've really kind of found uh, where like a place where I can really use the whole skill set that I have, the research background, clinical background, and it's definitely, uh, I would say, um, life with with adrenaline uh, adventure. Uh, there's a lot of like a uh, lot of things that keeps you really alert, and you have to kind of. Uh, um, it's uh, it's in many ways it's very fulfilling to actually do the work and kind of seeing the fruits really expanding into yeah. wide scale populations, a wide scale, large scales of patients. Yeah. Uh, considering just being a physician seeing single patients now like uh, on a daily basis which is also super important but i get a lot of satisfaction also in trying to help large populations and i think working in these kind of startup environments taking new technologies you're really that is exactly where we are aiming with these kind of solutions yeah um you know what, what what i found very interesting is that you pretty quickly moved into the united states from finland um mm-hmm. you know I, I i already talked to um uh, it, it's a, kind of a thing that I have, have observed from, uh, you know, <laughs> Finnish entrepreneurs, because I've already talked with, with a, 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 you know, a handful. Uh, you, you guys have like a, a very, um, uh, a, a very quick kind of, you're very quickly into moving into, into, into the United States. Um, you know, it's, it's like you, all the companies that I've also observed, they're, they're literally like, you know, it seems like they're automatically building for the for the United States, right? How was that? How how come was that for for you guys that you were moving that quickly into the United States? Because when you said you two thousand fourteen, you already moved to um to the U.S. again. Um, how 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 come that you that you did this decision so quickly? Uh, <clears throat> I think after we 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 uh, launched. Um... Uh, cardio single uh, project. Uh, no, uh, the Blueprint Genetics project. We we started uh, seeing uh, attraction to our products and services. Uh-huh. Yeah, not only in Finland but in Scandinavia and also in 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 Canada, which we could actually serve with uh, through from from Finland. I think, uh, of course, getting the business attraction overall for the products was kind of convincing to us that we have something in our hands that is attracting the clinical community. Yeah, and. Uh, the reality is that, of course, United States is a, is a large market. It's still, from European perspective, it's a large singular market. Of course, there are states and states. There are differences in small changes in different in different states in some regulatory stuff and everything. But it's a one singular market that is uh, is uh, you can approach it with technically with one single language and, mm-hmm. and uh, you can enter the pro with the one with the same product you have a massive uh, capability european europe is a very fragmented area language barriers yeah. even we are a european union 
there are still boundaries between different countries and rules and regulations, which can sometimes be pretty much hindering a certain business model, especially the business model that we are creating. It was technically optimal for us more more for us market for a, for this kind of a market that has a very strong private sector mm-hmm. so i think uh getting the business attraction made us confident that if canadians want to buy this if all every scandinavian countries are buying our technology products that we're or services that we're buying we don't see a problem why wouldn't the us customer want this also and then yeah. of course the us market is a huge size and if when you're trying to build a valuable startup company in healthcare, I think it's a no-brainer to think about how can we how can we take this into a U.S. market. But of course, it depends again on the from what the product and service is. But uh, I think in our in our case, it was a no-brainer to somehow target U.S. market. So, um, so how, that was how our that... approach. We get always different types of guidelines of how yeah. to enter U.S. market. Our approach was that I'm going to pack my suitcase and go there and see what. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk let's talk about this approach because I, I you know i think that's also quite interesting so i mean yes obviously you've spent you spent some time in the bay area but you know now you're like in in finland you know uh work for a university now you're supposed to move to the to the u.s right and not do research in a university but you, you're supposed to open up an entity right and grow it yeah so, you know guide me through guide me through these early uh you know early months years of like you know actually coming there uh, how did you approach it? Um, you know, like really, kind of, you know, getting getting the business off the ground in the state. Uh, yeah, it's uh, that is uh, <clears throat> those are kind of uh, weird years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I think the the fact that we started the commercial operation and I was of course heavily involved that already when I was still in the Finnish operation um had given me a certain kind of a skill a certain kind of a base set for like what seems to be working in the market and uh, what i really loved about this that we had a novel technology um which was really a solid scientific foundation we had a really good concept that was really designed for the for the use in a clinical setting and um and of course, as a founder, I was there from the beginning to really think about all these things with my our founding team. So it was really kind of becoming um, very like part of my part of my DNA almost to kind of talk about it and 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 really kind of sell it. And we kind of created these products from my own personal clinical um, practice. So I was like technically everything that was I would, we developed in Blueprint Genetics, especially from the cardiovascular side, which was like basically to serve myself. Mm. working with the sick cardiac patients yeah. so um, i think the the commercial operation was i think heavily based on the fact that i was actually going into hospitals and clinics and seeing my technically my previous colleagues or or at least people who are in the similar medical fields and um, telling them about our innovation so i think it was um, i i think it was kind of a hybrid of just talking about science Mm-hmm. from a little bit kind of a commercial perspective that this can actually we never really I, I never really went there to sell for example our customers this is the products it's not the classical sales pitch yeah. I actually yeah. went to talk about science technology and capabilities and there was sometimes hardly anything to related to product or even buying or selling anything and it, it really worked uh, people thought can I actually buy this well yes you can actually <laughs> buy <it. laughs> that's the best so sale a, I think um, I think fact eventually like uh, building a team around you that has a little bit the same mindset mm. a little bit similar skill sets uh you have a unique technology and um that can really make a difference when you know what the competition is around i think united states is a huge market especially with canada uh, mm. that you, this is um it's a i think in that sense if there are moments when you're hitting your head on the wall and things seem that nothing is working really, but if you just keep on trying, and I think that was super important for us that I actually moved here mm. as one of the founders and uh, and then kind of started that kind of the rocky road on on the and uh, was there in the middle of everything and putting myself into the into the equation everywhere, and and I think uh, it was eventually we started really seeing um, fruit coming out from this uh, whole project, so it was great from your from your perspective because you know both markets right so the, you know the european market um and the european countries uh uh versus the us uh, do you is it i wouldn't say easier but is is there like a more open mindedness towards new products and um you know less skepticism uh in you know for example in the us versus for example a european country so you know if, if in in your case with um 
I think it's it's difficult to say because you know you, you were such an expert in the in, in in the field, right? You 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 were coming from from science yourself. You developed a product for your own needs, as you said, right? There, there it was a completely yeah. different different conversation. But you know maybe if if you take that back to cardio um, uh, signal, for example, right? Just in general, from your observations, would you say that that is the case? Um, yes, um, I think there is a difference. Um, I'm not saying that um, some of these things that are here may be bigger. And I think there's more, I think, uh, interest in adapting um, novel technologies, innovations, I think, in the US. I think it's easier to uh, to sell these kind of concepts in the United States. I think this is also like really... Uh, the market in US is also really heterogeneous. So you can always try, you can always kind of target your first pitch and your first strategy, go to market strategy into something that you consider optimal. I think in, in Europe, it's more homogeneous. There's a kind of a governmental healthcare system. Mm. It's, it's, um, it's, um, it's a, it's a different kind of um, environment where you're selling the technologies. And um, I think here, definitely, I think the, the, the clinical world is more, um more maybe open mm -hmm, mm -hmm. novelties new okay. innovations new players in the market they're always maybe looking i think the clinicians are more they're more maybe open for looking for these kind of new solutions that may improve their their services or 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 somehow become better either they make more money out of it because it's a private healthcare system or it, it's a cost saving or some kind of improves their efficacy uh their process or something i think there's definitely it's a it's an it's a, it's an easier sell to sell new technologies in US than in Europe. Yeah. Um yeah. it's 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 interesting to me because I mean you decided to stay in the US, right? So you're still there. Uh what was was that one of the major decision points or you know be uh or or what was what was what what came to your decision kind of of like saying okay, I'm going to stay actually in the US after you after you exited for example Blueprint. Um yeah, I think there can be, of course, multiple reasons why we've uh, made the decision to stay. Um, but uh, I think uh, I am I am fascinated, of course, about the environment where I live here in, in California, in Silicon yeah, Valley. Yeah, yeah. Um, the academic atmosphere. I have my all my Stanford. I have Stanford colleagues here. The all the big universities that, and all the technology industry that you are you have in this place. And and that of course creates masses of people that are actually experts in a variety of different scenarios and and many of course in the areas where I like to work on. So of course it's you get a little bit addicted or or in of, of this kind of environment and uh, yeah. and, and uh, I think that is of course influencing it. I think also I I am I'm really uh, excited in work working in uh, health tech space and especially in startups mm -hmm. and. Uh, when you're working in uh, healthcare startups with novel technologies and innovations, I think this market is is really motivating for me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I, I think it's maybe hard, rough to say, but this is more motivating than trying to take this technology into in the European Union because of the fragmented language yeah, barriers. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've I've been also there, and it's sometimes frustrating. Yeah. There are kind of governmental uh, social healthcare systems. Uh, and all these barriers. Uh, so um, I think from that perspective, I think this this is a huge healthcare market. I think there's a lot of problems. Uh, this is like a messed up system in many ways. But I think the getting novel technologies into this market and having that discussions with different key and stakeholders stakeholders in the United States, I think it brings a lot of I think satisfaction for me. I think I have I have this feeling that we have a hope in taking these technologies yeah. into healthcare when I'm working in the US. I know it's a rocky pathway also here. It's not yeah. like that. Yeah. Definitely not easy. Definitely not easy. But you kind of feel that there is a, some kind of a light in the tunnel if you just mm. keep on pushing. Mm -hmm. And I, sometimes in the European healthcare system, you don't see the, even the little light there. With a certain, <laughs> like, you just see that the boundaries are so huge. Yeah. Like how, do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, so. even if you have a flashlight, you know, you think like, why is it? Wait, <clears throat> I thought this is working, yeah. you know? <laughs> why is yeah. it still dark? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so you know, uh, let's let's move forward. Uh, I think obviously, you know, the the chapter of Blueprint has been, you know, probably very significant for you in 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 really, you know, moving into what you just described of what you love doing, right? Working with uh, early stage startups, startups in general, you know, um, developing technology. Um, you uh, let, let's talk about your transfer, kind of like from you know finishing that chapter, exiting um, Blueprint, right? And then 
moving into into a new thing right um into into cardio signal and we'll, we're going to talk about cardio signal what it is you you're going to give us the the elevator pitch but you know how how was that transition period for you was it like literally okay from day one to you know from one day to the other literally like okay you know today i, I finished this one next day i'm starting the, the, the new chapter you know or how was that transfer period for you um i think that has been the most difficult transitioning period in my career so far i think uh, being founder of blueprint genetics and and kind of working being many years in, involved in that and uh, working with excellent teams uh, uh, i had great colleagues great team members um, like people i i would i would like to work rest of my life with and and then kind of making that decision that it's my time to leave i think that was a that was a little bit hard thing to do to leave that uh, <clears throat> organization and um uh, it was, um, of course, it was also slightly, I, I would use maybe words, scary <laughs> to jump from uh, from genetics business to medical device business. But um, I think looking at, uh, it was also satisfying the thinking that I'm going back to really kind of a cardiovascular space, which I also have a very strong interest from my background. And um, and also the feeling of now jumping back into something new. Uh, the Cardio Signal project is a is a kind of an early stage company, still seed funded company. It was kind of still in an early early phases of of, of development, and and starting to work with this uh, with this team of uh, of uh, founders and, and and people who have been already working on it for some years. I think it was also kind of magnificent to get back into that environment. Blueprint Genetics has already grown into a kind of a multi hundred, uh, and we were part of Quest Diagnostics. It was uh, already a part of a, it was a big corporation to to work in. So it was also kind of exciting to go back um, to my kind of more my to my roots of uh, of uh, being in an early stage startup company and really thinking about like uh, our go to market strategy and uh, making our first sale in US <laughs> or, or like yeah that's uh, going back to that similar thought process that we had in 2014 when we moved to United States to think about how do we sell our first genetic test based on this innovation. So I think there's a lot of similarities, and I also kind of uh, love that feeling of uh, getting back into that uh, kind of back few years, back into that similar situation that I already had it with the other other startup company. Yeah, only with the, the the major difference here is that obviously now you're you know you were entering with a way more savior business background, right? So really, this kind of um, you know look. Um, uh, on a on a startup of like you know analyzing of okay what what how big can this actually be you know how superior is the technology what does the market look like is the market ready you know what's the what's the customer etc like all these different things obviously you had a completely more enriched you know understanding of like how to evaluate a venture right so uh, I'm, I'm i'm curious so you know let's let's maybe talk about this because then there's a million things you can do right you can do everything right everything that, that you want that you want to you can join any company whatever and there's so many interesting so many interesting teams you know give us the understanding of how how did you make this decision and why did you make the decision to then you know join this particular team and then in cardio signal in general yeah so <clears throat> the the cardio signal technology is um is uh, is kind of a is a very interesting motion sensor technology and uh, it comes actually from university of turku Mm -hmm. um, that's where the development has been going on for over 10 years. I have a special interest in, in Turku because that's actually a place where I did my medical school and, uh, and, I, and that's also the, where I did my PhD. So I've lived a few, few years there. So I knew already the, the CEO of the company. And I said, <clears throat> um, I know some of the researchers who have been working in the academic side, uh, running the clinical studies around this. So there were kind of familiar names. So, um, even when I was at Blueprint Genetics, I was following this company because mm -hmm. I had some of these kind of old colleagues, old friends from Turku who have been kind of working on this. So I've been kind of following the technology to some extent. And um, and and um, I think the the fact that uh, the um, this technology had, a, I would say, a very strong academic background, which I think is very important for me. I like those, mm -hmm. I like especially academic innovations, uh, innovative companies that are built on a certain kind of an academic innovation that has a solid scientific background. So I think this company represented one. There, I think there's altogether over 20 peer-reviewed publications today around the technology. In that sense, a very rare digital health company. <clears throat> so of course, those kind of that kind of a foundation with this company was already something that I'm really attracted to. Also, we're talking about a novel biomarker, 
a digital biomarker that has technically not been used really in a clinical setting and uh, opening a new modality and i would say in diagnostics <clears throat> so that kind of a concept having the strong digital background knowing some of the founders uh, or, or or founding team members uh, some of the scientists uh, that have uh, that have been out there um and the face of the company and the face of my kind of career in my previous company i think this this came back to my door i had uh, of course done little follow ups during the years but suddenly this company through little accidents it came, kind of came back to my doorsteps and uh it was kind of their face was in a perfect setup for for kind of me to jump on 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 board and um and and also for my career wise i was uh, in a in a perfect situation to kind of uh make a next move so i think these are kind of things that mm. i wasn't yeah. really searching actively anything when i was still working in quest and blueprint genetics process i wasn't searching for new jobs or anything i had this feeling that there will be eventually something exciting coming to my coming yeah. onto my doorsteps which I'll, I'll kind of pursue but and uh, and this it just happened to the stars were aligned in the right position and uh, and and uh, I, that that's where kind of the whole decision process started uh, mm. happening making this transition Right. Let, let's talk. Let's talk about um, you know the product or the company itself. You you gave us a little bit background in for uh, info and in, in the sense of where it's coming from. So highly scientific background, etc. Um, let's talk about the you know the as is uh, situation with uh, the company. You know, give us give us a give us a kind of the elevator pitch towards the the product, right? Um, uh, that we have right now, and uh, and then we can transition in talking about like okay, so. Uh, where where are we heading with this? Yeah, so um, cardio single motion sensor technology is, um, as already mentioned, is a result of over ten years of academic research, and um, it's a powerful uh, software as a medical device. Technically, the concept and um, the secret sauce is that we can uh, really uh, you harness, uh, I would say, any handheld device that has the right motion sensors. In this case, the gyroscope and an accelerometer. Um, we can actually turn these with this software. We can turn these devices into very powerful cardiac imaging imaging tools. So what we're really assessing with uh, the gyroscope, which is the, really the secret sauce, is really the rotation motion of the heart mm -hmm. and uh, kind of angular velocities. Uh, we also use some data from the accelerometer and. Uh, the signal that we're collecting with these devices can then be turned into um, physiological data, heart rate, heart rate variability. We can also analyze respiratory rate. There are capabilities to do VO2 max. Uh, that is something that is still on the, on the study phase. But what we've also found in the last 10 years is that this delicate motion of the heart that we can do a readout with the motion sensors is affected by a variety of uh, human heart diseases. So um, it's gone through a lot of technical validations, and then there are been clinical validations and, and also several clinical studies ongoing at the moment. And what we found is from these studies is that we can really create digital biomarkers out of this signal for, I would say, a large proportion of, uh, of human heart diseases. Mm -hmm. and, um, of course, the first applications for atrial fibrillation has already been approved as a medical class 2A device in Europe. We have some, um, we are hopefully having that also um, uh, technology available in US market soon. But we have these, uh, we have clinical studies now demonstrating that we have also capabilities to detect, monitor heart failure. Um, there are some preliminary evidence of cardiac ischemia. Uh, arctic stenosis pulmonary hypertension and also we're planning more clinical studies in other medical categories but it looks like that uh, a large proportion of human heart diseases especially at least in certain states they will affect this very delicate rotation motion and this can be collected with these devices when you have the right motion sensors and i think the disruption comes from the fact that uh, today billions of smartphones modern smartphones they have technically the right motion sensors so with the smart with the with the software application you can technically turn a smartphone into a heart disease detection tool and what the only thing that you need to do is place the device for 60 seconds on your chest and uh, we can uh, during that 60 second measurement we can actually collect that accurate information from the rotation motion of the heart and, and turn it into um, information that can be used in a clinical setting interesting the a holy grail of a, a digital biomarker obviously is that it's um, you know clinically validated um, mm -hmm. so if we benchmark uh, if we benchmark the, um, the the solution or the technology against what we what we have out there 
um, you know, and also maybe I think it's important to talk about Apple, um, even though, you know, yeah, you know, just 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 because of the sheer size of the organization and then, you know, the, the, the money and the resources that are being put in there. And also yeah. there's other products, right? So there's a, especially in the US, I think there's a, a bunch of companies that are trying to, to, you know, to pursue at least into the, into the area of collecting different sorts of physiological signals. Right. And yeah. I mean, it's a different story to turn those into, you know, validated digital biomarkers, but uh, still, you know, if we benchmark that, how does that relate? Yeah, it's, um, that is, um, of course, a key uh, component of, uh, of what we do today is uh, comparison into the other technologies. So um, if you think about all this kind of remote monitoring, um, monitoring of uh, cardiovascular health, physiology, uh, vital signs in a home setting, I think most of these, um, these technologies that are now available are either they are based on photoplethysmography, BBG-based, like the ring that i have here mm -hmm. also apple watch has a bbg as a, as a continuous uh, monitoring it has now also an ecg capability so that's electrocardiography which is technically uh, looking at electrical activity of the heart bbg is looking at pulse pulse waves in your peripheral vasculature um of course we can use there are also blood pressure cuffs you could do different types of scales to look at your body composition and weight um to co collect physiological data um i think one of the problems with all of these devices is that they have very narrow diagnostic capability mm -hmm. apple watch technology technically meant for arrhythmia detection and i think that's also the problem for ecg you don't really i think ecg itself is not a very good diagnostic capability for most heart diseases. You may find different types of findings, but it's not really a diagnostic capability for, for various heart diseases. So I think that is the problem with current technologies is that majority of heart diseases cannot be detected with them. So you can really, at the moment with the current technology, it's very hard to create remote monitoring or wide scale screening programs to find diseases or use it in telemedicine to diagnose, for example, valve diseases or detect pulmonary hypertension. So there's a lot of these diseases like heart failure is still, we don't really have capabilities to do that. And, uh, and I think that's where the disruption with our technology is coming from. We have the capability to detect these kind of diseases that are outside the current uh, uh, technologies. I think the other, other big problem with the current technologies is also that they require hardware. Hardware is costly and, uh, and that often causes bottlenecks when you want to do really scale some of these kind of technologies wide scale, widely in the population. And it's also an accessibility problem. In the United States, the majority of the population that is causing majority of the heart disease problems are populations that are typically not buying any Apple Watches or any these kind of devices. So this kind of additional hardware creates huge bottlenecks when it comes to accessibility, scalability. So I think what this field really needs is uh, technological innovations that can broaden the detection capability of different heart diseases and technologies that are easily scalable and very accessible in all layers of the society. We have this growing problem of uh, growing uh, disparity in cardiovascular care. Like a low-income man in the United States lives 14 years less than a high-income man. So um, the growing disparity, the late diagnosis of these heart diseases, those are it's a huge burden within the within cardiovascular disease, which is of course the, one of the biggest bird, healthcare burdens globally, and it's growing. And I think that's these are kind of these factors what we're really now kind of modeling with this technology is like giving an unforeseen scalability, accessibility, because smartphones are distributed everywhere, every layer in the United States. Um, has a smartphone in their hand. Also in third world countries, so our smartphones are widely distributed. So of course we have this kind of a huge accessibility advantage to run this kind of a software, software as a medical device. The access scalability also, and we are offering now the concept of broader cardiovascular uh, disease detection. Mm -hmm. um, so the... I, I get your point, and I think the the the, the other um, the problem with um, hardware devices is the consistency um, around um, uh, the uh, well using utilizing the, the the device, right? Having it charged, wearing it. I mean, those are the the, the typical yeah. challenges around that. Um, yeah. Because one one important aspect is around the consistent measurements. So how does that relate, for example, to cardio signal in terms of the frequency for measurement? And uh, yeah, so 
I think that's an additional, definitely an additional problem with these kind of extra hardwares. People get fatigue in using mm, them. Yeah. If you forget it at home, you're not going to go back and get it. That's the beauty of the smartphone is that smartphone is so addictive, addictive uh, to, yeah. to human beings. Uh, it's almost like a body part. We can really hard. We can hardly survive in this uh, society if we don't have a smartphone. Like yeah. uh, it's become like a everyday tool for everybody. And uh, I think an average middle-aged American is using their phone five hours every day, which is yeah. a huge, huge amount. So I think the the device itself is already so important. If you forget it at home, you're gonna go drive drive back and get your phone. And the, it's for many people, it's the first thing they do in the morning is look at their phone. And the last thing they do in the, in the evenings is look at their phone. I think having this kind of a medical device capability in, within this kind of a device that is already so important to everybody is, I think, is a huge, I would say, advantage. We don't need to worry about that. Is our, is our technology charged or did the patient forget it or is he carrying it? Because we are 100% sure that they are carrying the technology and it's uh, very likely to be charged and uh etc so i think that that gives us a huge i think an additional i would say advantage mm-hmm. in getting people to use them be use the device because they are already using it for five hours every day yeah. you only need seconds out of it of course yeah. you have to create ways to motivate patients but i think we don't have that additional hardware uh, problem yeah. to this let, let, let's talk about the the business model uh go to market strategy um yeah. And then, then, you know, the, the, the corresponding size of the opportunity. Uh, I, I think that's quite interesting. I mean, beyond, beyond the, 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 you know, understandable classical numbers of, um, you know, heart disease in general, especially for example, in the United States with things that are related to obesity, et cetera, all these things. Um, but you know, for specifically for cardio signal, um, you know how how have you thought about the business model and how does that correspond also to towards the, the product vision and then kind of like the future for for that yeah so of course that we have this relatively ro- we have a robust technology robust capability with our technology in mm. uh, and in various heart disease detection um, when we look into the future I think um, this is not a consumer product in that sense. Uh, there can be a cardio signal product that is available in the consumer market, but I think most of the these major clinical applications that are, and the capabilities are really this is meant for professional use scenarios. I think what what we, what we think is the the huge advantage of this technology is uh, in in growing markets like remote patient monitoring mm-hmm. and telemedicine service, rural care, elderly care, scenarios where we want to somehow monitor or treat, diagnose patients in a remote setting and not make them come to laboratories and hospitals, which is expensive. Mm-hmm. It's not very scalable. And I think that current healthcare system is in big trouble as we know today. And uh, so we need these kind of solutions to make this more effective, more scalable. And I think these remote patient monitoring scenarios, telemedicine visits, virtual care models is a growing business globally. And I think we're already seeing this in the United States. And I think other countries will be following in trying to make patients stay at home more and more and do more effectively through telemedicine services. And I think our technology is really built for that kind of uh, service. Uh, the phones are already in, in a home scenario, so you can do a telemedicine visit, remote patient monitoring. You can use this technology to really collect accurate digital biomarkers in a home setting. Um, I think this that's one of our kind of major go-to-market strategies is to create this kind of a service platform that we can offer to a variety of healthcare providers from mm-hmm. telemedicine companies. Um, and I think in primary care, I would say large part of today's healthcare system in US is at least partially hybrid. They have already, hospitals have telemedicine, hospitals are doing remote monitoring, primary care physicians are doing remote monitoring. I think there is the, the business is technically the whole care, whole, whole healthcare business. And now we are offering just a novel technology that can really expand the detection capability to variety variety of different diseases. This is a really easy accessible, or this will be a very easy accessible and very effective strategy, for example, for heart failure patients, screening them in high-risk populations, when monitoring patients who have been discharged from hospitals. So those are kind of potential use cases. I think that's the the, and there's already reimbursement in the United States for remote patient monitoring and of course telemedicine services. So there are of course already business scenarios where our technology 
can really integrate into and we can create revenues out of it. But I do see in a, in a long-term uh, benefits is really working with health plans. How do we target this kind of technology into large-scale populations, like looking at type 2 diabetes patients? There are tens of millions of patients in the United States, and they are in very high risk of getting these cardiovascular diseases. So mm -hmm. I think we're eventually with the payer side in, in creating models where this technology can be used to monitor high-risk individuals and find patients in an earlier stage. Because I think that's a huge opportunity for cost-saving is finding these diseases in an earlier stage. Then we can manage them much more earlier stage. Prevention will be more effective. But we can keep those patients away from hospitals and, and costly complications. So I think uh, those are kind of some of the scenarios. But of course, we are getting a lot of attraction from biopharma companies in harnessing this technology as part of clinical trial process to look at cardiovascular health, add the digital biomarkers into, into a routine um, uh, clinical trial setup. So we do consider that this is also an excellent technology for uh, clinical trials, drug development, uh, monitoring cardiac health in in, in different uh, uh, clinical trial setups. And uh, we're already getting that kind of attraction. So I think that will be also a future business model and an important business model for us. So ultimately you said it's not not targeting uh, on the customer side, uh, not targeting the, the the end consumer or the patient, but really, you know, the care provider or in that sense, or the, the other scenario with the pharmaceutical companies, for example. So uh, on the product side, would that be basically are you would you be offering kind of like a, a, a you know a b2b software platform then sort of say for the monitoring yeah. basically yeah. yeah yeah so creating the 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 concept that physicians can technically detect these biomarkers is you require some you require that platform the full yeah. platform and of course in many scenarios this platform can be integrated into some other platform so it can be a standalone uh, monitoring device uh, monitoring platform for a physician who is monitoring let's say your heart failure patients or your type 2 diabetes patients but of course having the capability that it can be integrated into other software systems that is also important but definitely that is the way to do b2b models you have to have a you have to have that dashboard scenario <clears throat> to get these digital biomarkers into the face of the healthcare provider to have the the, the capability to help the patients. Yeah, how how does that relate to um so the, you know that scenario of, of growing? I mean the opportunity is massive, um, especially in, in the United States. Uh, how does it relate to you know your company's maturity uh, in terms of uh, funding and you know kind of future uh, future potential funding? Like how um how resource intensive is it growing such a company for example also compared to your previous venture um yeah we are a medical device company although it's a software as a medical device company but uh, from the regulatory perspective and uh, and building an evidence based system is of course labor intensive it's costly and time consuming so definitely i don't think this is definitely not a walk in a park in that sense and uh but I think we've been already executing successfully multi-year, multi-center studies in, in some of these clinical concepts. And, and it, that's what it takes. We need to run clinical studies, um, create the evidence. That evidence is required to get regulatory approvals uh, for products and services. And uh, so it's a long path uh, mm -hmm. to do that. Um, luckily, we have already been working on this for a couple of years. So the first application is out as a class 2A device under CE in Europe, uh, which is uh, meant for atrial fibrillation detection and also has the vital sign collection. Uh, we are, of course, in collaboration and uh, with FDA. We've been working with FDA already for some time uh, on, on bringing this technology into North America. And um, and I think we are in a, in a good position to... Um, um, to kind of see the see the end of uh, end of that process and and having the first applications uh, available in a in a US market quite soon um there'll be more 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 uh, information coming uh, hopefully soon about this process but we're really happy on the on the progress at the moment uh, and and uh, in that sense we're not like anymore in the early stage where we're planning the studies and the regulatory approvals we're really close to i think commercial launch uh, also in North America, and uh, but of course it'll take some time before we have our heart failure capabilities um, in incorporated fully into this uh, technology and uh, and all these new clinical applications. So, at the same time, we're bringing this technology to the market with the so-called the 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 technology the, the capabilities that are now kind of established. Of course, our goal is to continue and pursue to so that eventually this platform will have capabilities to technically diagnose a large proportion of uh, of um, of heart diseases. So. We 
we're we're doing a lot of clinical studies constantly. So there's multiple studies ongoing, multiple studies are in the process of like ending, finalizing manuscript phase. So it's a very heavy, I would say, research uh, uh, oriented uh, company. I would say. Yeah. So uh, in terms of um, in terms of, of funding and resources, uh, are you are you planning to? I mean, obviously on the research side, I think there's a lot of especially on the cooperation side with the institutions stuff like that a lot of the funding from from that that can be public funding that can be made uh, available for that but for uh, you know in terms of um you know, funding for the venture is that um, is there is that more also planned into kind of the growth uh, etc for yeah for so yeah so i think the we still call ourselves kind of a seed phase company, uh, although yeah. the total volume of funding, the, uh, if you count all the EU grants, we've had multi-million uh, grants from uh, from the European Union to run a lot of these research and, and development projects. We've also had private private funding. So I think all yeah. that together is way over $10 million uh, already, which have been kind of put into this project to, to be make it, to make it possible to do all these multi-center clinical studies and, and developments. Um, but um, we have, I think, no, we have not raised our A round funding, for example, yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I think that's if you if you really want to know where this where the company stage is at the moment is that we are kind of planning um, to do our A round funding um, somewhere early next year, and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, with that technically initiate the so called commercial uh, pro commercial project uh, or the commercial phase of the of the company. So put much more uh, meat on that uh, and uh, for the products that are coming out. Or capabilities in the United States, but also in Europe, and um, and and but also put more and more um, effort into pushing these other clinical applications out. But that's I think the phase of the company at the moment. Interesting. Hey, Tedo, it was amazing having you on. Uh, super, super interesting what you guys are building. Um, really, thanks uh, for taking the time and telling us what you what you're up to. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you and uh, telling you about. Uh, cardio signal and blueprint genetics and other other stuff yeah we'll, we'll definitely have you on uh, we, we should have a second part for this because i think i think you guys are doing some really interesting thing uh especially on the digital biomarker side so you know let's let's stay in touch in that <laughs> yeah happy to happy to do a deep dive on those also yeah we have a lot of exciting study results from heart failure and uh, and, and stuff that is is kind of now coming out from the from the clinical trials so happy to happy to jump on another call <laughs>